that you're here. Uh, grab the notes and we'll jump in real quick. We're in a series called The Sweet Life, talking about the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mercy, gentleness, self-control. So I actually switched it up. We're in the last two weeks of the message. Self-control would seem to be the last one, but I decided to do it this week. So how many are excited to learn about self-control today? You bet, man. All services of... I thought people would boo on it, to be honest, but they haven't been good. Um, my, my grandkids, Amy and Marcus's kids, they have six, and um, trying to teach little ones self-control is an adventure in and of itself. And I think a lot of parents today, man, don't have a clue how to do that because they struggle with it themselves too. And Amy calling and asking for advice like, Dad, how would I do this and how would I do that? Her and Marcus came up with this really beautiful way to teach their children self-control. And it was so good, I asked permission to share it. So here's what they did. Like any family, but especially a large family, when they shop, they go to Costco, and they have to buy in bulk. And kids love snacks. Do your kids love snacks? Oh, my goodness. Do your kids love snacks? My kids love snacks, too. Snacks were an integral part of growing up. They're an integral part of a 54-year-old man's life today. Um, and so they would buy snacks. And then, of course, um, trying to control and tell them, listen, you can only have so many snacks, snacks, you know, in moderation. But your kids don't get that. And so they came up with this beautiful system. Here's what they did. Bought this great big box, divvied it up into six baskets, 30 days' worth of snacks. And here's what they told the kids. You can have as much as you want, but when you run out, you're out for 30 days. So you need to learn to discipline yourself with it right now. What do you think happened? <laughs> yeah. All right. Two of them ate them all in 48 hours. <laughs> Dead serious. And they stood back and let them do it. So some of them, they had it for breakfast. They had it right after breakfast. They brought bunches of them to school, had it when they got home, ate them all up, and ran out in two days and then began to say, Hey, where's our snacks? And they said, you got 28 days to go. And that's where a parent really has to be a parent because you can't give in during that time if you're going to teach somebody something about self-control. So here's what the two that ate all theirs began to do. They would sneak in the closet and steal from their siblings. <laughs> it's like a microcosm in world geopolitics going on inside of this house. Two of them were really disciplined. Two of them caught on right away to what needed to happen, and two of them actually spaced out how many can I have per day and actually made it last the full 30 days. One of them, one of the girls, brilliant, learned real fast for the ones that ran out of their snacks. Here's what she said. If you make my bed, I'll give you one of the snacks. <laughs> she got her room cleaned, her bed made, and all of her chores done. By trading snacks, guarantee you 20 years from now, she'll be the one with money. And all the family, she'll be the one with money. It's so bottom line, right? It took about 60 days to really balance the thing out, but all the kids actually learned how to manage their snacks. And if they do decide to go overboard, then they just realize I'm going to have to do without later on, which is really the best thing that you can teach a kid when it comes to self-control. 
It's how to do it themselves, yes or no? It's what a parent is trying to teach a child all the time, is how to do it themselves, how to do it the right way, how to learn it. And so this is not in your notes, and if you've got a pen, you might want to write it down. I want to give you three things real quick. They're not the body of the notes, just three things that I learned from this that I think um, we all should know when it comes to self-control, because I thought this was really interesting, and it's true for everybody that's going to hear the message this weekend, not just in this room, every campus, multiplied by all the different services we do, all the people that will listen to it tomorrow or listen to it next week, or maybe they're on vacation and they'll, they'll hear this. Whenever you hear this, it's going to be true of the people that uh, listen to this message, young, old, male, female, wealthy, poor, doesn't matter. This is the human condition, three things about self-control that we all need to understand. The first one simply is this, personality does play a part when it comes to self-control. Some people are better at it than others are. Some people are more naturally disciplined. Some people just simply learn that easy. They have a certain level of self-control. And then some people are like me. And they're not naturally good at it. Chris, what are the name of those cookies you've been buying for me? Sausalito. Anybody else ever had a Sausalito cookie? She buys these chocolate chip Sausalitos. And here's what she tells me. This is your month's supply right here. <laughs> And I ate a whole bag of them last night before going to bed. They were awesome. Now I'm out. Except I'm a big boy with my own money, and I'll stop on the way home. <laughs> All I want, just listen, personality does play a part in this. So when I talk about this today, I want to talk about two different factors of it. There's the natural factor, which is really good. We all need some level of self-control in our life. It's a natural factor we should develop. But what we're talking about is the sweet life. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And so the Bible teaches that the fruit of the Spirit is not an act of the flesh, but it's the new man that's inside of you that regenerates after the Holy Spirit. So when you cooperate with the Holy Spirit, this is just something that happens in your life. So there's two kinds of self-control. There's natural and there's supernatural. Both of them are beneficial, but only one comes from God. So personalities do play a part in this. Here's the second thing that's really important. Self-control can be taught. If you don't get it or you're not good at it or you struggle with this issue or you've just never learned how to do this or you find areas of your life where it's just simply broken down, I want you to know you're not hopeless. You're not helpless and you're not weird. It can be taught and you can learn it. And here's the last one that I think probably is the thing that everyone at some point will come to realize. The reason you want self-control is because it pays off in your life later on. Right now, you may not get it. Right now, you may not see it. But that whole issue of delayed gratification, man, the ability to be willing to say, I've got to learn something now to get it later, gosh, it just pays off so huge. So we're talking about the sweet life from the book of Galatians. Chapter 5 is where we read about love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, mercy, gentleness, self-control. By the way, I'll end next week's message talking about gentleness. And then on to a new series after that. In particular, it's Galatians 5.23 that talks about self-control. I thought this was interesting. This isn't from me. Uh, Joyce Myers actually said this. I respect Joyce Myers. I think she's a great teacher of the word of God. Joyce Myers was teaching on the fruit of the Spirit, and this is what she had to say. The fruit of the Spirit begins with love, which is so broad, broad and so wide and so open to everything, isn't it? Love is just so good. But it ends with self-control, which is so narrow. It's like two bookends. God wants everything, and he wants it in its place. And that makes sense. It's a beautiful thought about how it works. 
So today we're talking about self-control. So if you've got a pen or a pencil or you want to use the online new version of the notes, that's cool too. Or if you learn best by just listening, it's wonderful. So let me give you three things about self-control that I think the Bible teaches and that's really, under, uh, really important for you to understand. The first one simply is this. Self-control is protection. Self-control is protection. A lot of times people tend to think God's not fun. God's anything but fun. God's just super serious. God uh, wants to control us from having fun. And the truth of the matter is God created fun. He created you to enjoy things. And here's, um, here's the deal. Let me put it this way. How many of you want to live the sweet life? You really want, if you don't raise your hand, you can't have the sweet life. So if you want, okay. All of us want the sweet life. You know, here's how I know it. You got out of bed and came here this morning. That's why you're here. You want the sweet life, man. You want to live the sweet life. If you think you want to live it, I promise you it doesn't come close to how much God wants you to live it in your life. So the things that he's written for us, the things that he asks us to do or the things that he tells us not to do, they're not written to control you and they're not to keep you from having fun. They're so that you can enjoy the sweet life. And the sweet life is fun, man. The sweet life is worth it. So one of the reasons you need to get self-control and you need this to operate in your life, self-control is protection. One of the books of wisdom in the Bible is the book of Proverbs. There were several writers of the book of Proverbs. They were all very wise people. They had lived life and they learned certain things about how life works. And so we find this really cool scripture that talks about how self-control is protection. It says a person without, what's the word? A person without is like a city with broken down walls. Now this is written 3,000 years ago. It's written to a group of people who lived during a time who understood exactly what's being said. Our cities don't have walls. So when this is read, we have some type of an understanding of what it means. But let me explain it real quick. Jerusalem is a perfect example. In less than 30 days, I'll take a group from JFC to Israel. And part of that trip, we'll go to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem still has the city walls around it. The city walls served as protection for that city. The city walls are made of real thick stone, real high walls. And they have gates in them that during the daytime they would open so people could come in and out. But at nighttime they'd close them so that people who wanted to do harm couldn't get into the city. And so what he's writing to is a group of people who would understand all cities then, any big city, had walls around it in order to protect it from people who wanted to do harm to it. And here's what he's trying to teach people. If you don't have self-control, you're like a city without a wall around it who any enemy who wants to come in can come in at any time and steal from that city. And let me say this to you. Without self-control in your life, you're giving access for the enemy to come in and steal things from your life without any Thing to stop him. Um, I'm joking about the cookie thing. But in a way, I'm not. Because those who go here know that 11 months ago, I had a heart attack. And there were many reasons for it. Some were genetic. Some was because I didn't handle stress well. Some was because I didn't exercise faithfully. But some of it was because I never used self-control when it came to what I ate. I ate what I wanted when I wanted, and the amount I wanted. And yes or no, it doesn't matter how much you love God. 
doesn't matter what you preach and how much you pray and how much money you give and how many times you go to church because I bet I go more than you do. (laughs) It doesn't matter how much you do those things without self-control in your life, you open yourself up for trouble, yes or no? Okay, so maybe that's not your thing. Here's what's funny about this message. It's relative because maybe you don't struggle with food. But let me tell you another story of a friend of mine that goes to church here and I love this guy and I'm in a deep relationship with this guy and I believe in this guy but this guy has no self-control over his temper and he's the nicest guy in the world as long as he doesn't get rattled he's not quite as old as I am but here's what's happened to him in his life when he goes to work things get him upset And when the demand gets put on him, he can't exercise self-control. So when his boss tells him to do something and he's angry, he'll curse his boss out. What do you think the boss does? You think the boss says, hey, thanks for pointing that out to me. I'll take that into consideration next time. You know what the boss does? The guy's had more jobs than more years, and I've been here 19 years. And now here's the problem. He's married with children. Look at me real quick. And his family lives in poverty because he has no self-control over his anger. Self-control is like a wall around a city. But without it, the walls are broken down and the enemy comes in and steals. And he doesn't just steal from you. He'll steal from everybody that you love. That those walls are there to protect. Did you just hear what I said? And then believers are famous for this. God, why won't you protect me? God, why don't you show up? God, why don't you do something for me? And here's God teaching us wisdom right here. Put this in your life so that it's protection around you because without it, the enemy comes in and out. It's all relative too because maybe you don't struggle with anger. How about this? A person without self-control in their finances gives the enemy a chance to come into their lives and steal everything from them, yes or no? You ever met a person without self-control in finances? God. Doesn't seem like such a big deal until the devil takes everything from you. Self-control when it comes to sexuality. Now it's quiet. Now, of course, it's not this service. But people without self-control when it comes to sexuality, man, end up in a lot of funny places. Lives divided, children hurt, marriages crushed. Yes or no? So that doesn't happen to believers. Oh my goodness, I've done this 32 years. 32 years. People that love God without protection in their life, the devil has, look at me, the devil has one aim, to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus taught that. The devil, he waits for the opening in your life. Maybe this is the, be- maybe this is the more positive way to say it. Maybe the best spiritual warfare you could do is to actually keep up the protection around your life that God has for you so the devil can't get in. Maybe the best way to deal with the devil is to keep him out rather than trying to get him out. Does that make sense? Because then people go into all sorts of crazy things. They bind and they loose and they scream and they cry, which I get. And there's a place for that in spiritual warfare, but probably the best spiritual warfare you could do is to keep the devil out in the first place. Self-control is a wall of protection around you. Uh, In our day, The Great Wall of China. Heard of it? Here's what it looks like. Check it out. 
Uh, when I showed this last night, it's such a pretty picture. I've never, anybody would ever like to go there and see? I'd, I'd love, I've never been to China. I'd love to go there. I'd love to see this. I, what I actually said last night is I'd love to walk it. And then I looked at the picture and I'm like, man, I don't want to walk that thing for nothing. In the, so here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to be able to get on about right here, walk up to there, and then helicopter back out to Beijing. That would be the, the way to go. I don't know if this is true, but I've read that it's so large it can be seen from space. So if, I mean, think about how, what a man-made structure that could be, how large, and it was built to keep the northern invaders out of China. And it worked extraordinarily well until the Mongols realized all they had to do was bribe the guy with the key at the gate. <laughs> and so they bribed him, and he opened the lock, and guess what? They didn't even have to go over the wall. They went right through the gate. Look at me. In our lives, we tend to think that stuff is so insignificant and small. This one time won't hurt anything. Give the devil one inch, dude. And he will steal everything that you have. The best form of spiritual warfare is to do what God told you to do. Let me say it another way. The best form of spiritual warfare is not to do what the devil wants you to do. Some people are pursuer of dreams and others are fleer of nightmares, so I don't care which way you learn, but learn. Don't do what the enemy wants. Do what God says. It is protection over your life. Where the wall is broken, the enemy will come in to steal, and you can have everything else up, but all it takes is that one entry point. So the good news here is God is merciful. The good news here is... God forgives. And the good news here is that God moves on our behalf. But here's what we think. God, I don't want self-control. I just want you to protect me and some things you're responsible for in life. Do you agree? Some things we're responsible for. Self-control is protection too. Self-control is a requirement. It's a requirement. If you're a believer, self-control is not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's not for some people, but not for you. Self-control is a requirement. Second Peter chapter 1, 3 through 8, it's a little bit of a, a, a complicated um, passage to work our way through. But I really, in order to get context to you, and so you can see a progression of how this works, I, I just, just bear with me as I read my way through this, and I'll comment on it. So, um, so, so Peter just writes, uh, by God's divine power, look at this statement. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So look at me real quick. Everything you need to live the sweet life is in you right now. Good Lord. <laughs> everything you need is in you right now to live the sweet life. God, we don't have to have a special prayer line afterwards to lay hands on you to get this in your life. It is in you right now. If you're a believer, God's already put it in you. Everything you need to live the sweet life is in you now. You don't even have to ask. It's in you. It just needs to be activated. You need to step into it. For some of us, it's just simply the revelation that it's there. For some of us, it's just simply acting upon it. But whatever you need, man, God's already given it to you by his power, not mine, not yours, not the world, by his divine power. God has given us everything we need for godly life. We have received all of this by coming to what? To know him. As we come to know him, 
more and more of this happens. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence, and because of his glory and excellence, here's what happens. He has given us great and precious promises. Some of those promises are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mercy, gentleness, self-control. Those are the promises of God. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature or the sweet life and escape the world's what? To escape the world's corruption. Remember, we taught this two weeks ago. The book of Galatians tells us that as soon as you become a believer, man, you get a new man put inside of you, a new spirit, but it goes to war with the flesh. And so there's a war that goes on continually in this life against flesh and against spirit. The flesh wants you to go the way of the world. The spirit wants you to go the way of God, and they battle. That's why a believer can have good days and bad days. You ever have a good day and a bad day? You ever feel like you're having more bad than good? Yeah. Okay, I know. I get it, man. That's the battle. And so here's what the devil tells us. That means you don't even know God. That's, it means you do know God. It's the proof you do know God. So it's caused by human desires. The corruption is caused by human desires. And in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. So you've got to respond to them. Respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and then to knowledge add one more time add okay and then look with your self-control add patient endurance and with patient endurance godliness and with godliness brotherly affection and with brotherly affection love for everyone and then look at this statement the more you grow like this so this is something we have to grow into right now I'm coming to yours. Guys, it's my third time doing it. And I'm an old fat cookie eater. So you're going to agree with me. We're doing this together. We grow into these things, right? Isn't that what it says right there? You don't get it one day. You grow into these things as you come to know Jesus. And as you respond to his love. And as you respond to what he tells you to do, you grow. So we're supposed to have love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at me real quick. How many of you want to be productive and useful in your lives? Of course you do. That's what got you here this morning. It got you out of bed because you want to make a difference and you want it to matter and you want it to count. And the Bible's telling you how this happens. So I would say to you, if you want to sum up this little passage of Scripture, here's how you could sum it up real quick, quickly. Your spiritual growth happens around the issue of self-control. With self-control, you'll grow spiritually. You'll keep adding things and adding things. Without self-control, you will not grow spiritually. You'll be stuck. It, now, it's not a heaven and hell issue because you don't get yourself to heaven. That's Jesus' job. But your life here on earth, man, is totally, totally predicated on your cooperation with God. Self-control is a requirement. Uh, it talked in that passage about corruption. So, so let, me, let me speak to corruption for a second so that you get how dangerous corruption is. For those of you who have to ever mess with a computer, have you ever had a corrupt file? How frustrating is a corrupt file? I'm trying to fix a corrupt file so that the computer will work. That Man, I have lost my salvation three or four times over a computer. <laughs> A tapestry of words to describe how much a computer was supposed to make my life easier and did not. All right. How about a corrupt cell in your body? 
Because all it takes is one that begins to multiply and can take over an entire body. And what was small and little can kill something that was good and healthy. Do you agree? Disagree? Am I right? Am I wrong? Is it? So we're dealing with people right now whose cells are corrupt and have gone into this horrible multiplication effect right now. That's a hard thing to deal with. Then your time is spent trying to get the corrupt out. Whereas you're better off trying to grow what's right and good. That's what this is saying to us. Put this hedge of protection around you. It's necessary. It protects your life. It's a waste of your energy to spend all of your time trying to fix what's wrong. Love what's right. Grow what's right. Your spiritual growth happens around self-control. Third one. So one is protection, two is requirement, three. Um, let, me, let me explain this before I... Um, I grew up a Catholic kid. And uh, it's, it's, not, it's not a bang on Catholicism in any way, shape, or form. It's just... This was just my, my truth. Um, they were really good at teaching me the law. It was, it was pretty legalistic in its, in its nature. So they never taught relationship. What they taught was, here's right and here's wrong. And, and it's good to know the difference between right and wrong, but right and wrong doesn't save you. Do you get what I mean by that? It just, so they, they just taught like the, the letter of the law, the legalism. Now here's the problem with it. Jesus said, he called it the leaven of the Pharisees. And this is what he said. Once legalism, once religion gets in your head, it's really hard to get it out. Because you can read your Bible either through life and it blesses you or you can read it through legalism and it kills you. You can hear a message and if you're a legalist, a message like this will kill you, man. You'll just think, i got to work harder. And that's, that's not what I'm saying. It's a work of the Holy Spirit that we need in our lives. So this is going to sound like, forgive the pun, it's going to sound like I play devil's advocate here. but I'm teaching self-control that's natural and good and then self-control that's of the Spirit of God. And so I'm going to speak to natural self-control for a second, and that's why I wrote this point. Three, self-control, as good as it is, self-control can be deceiving. Self-control can be deceiving. So here's this... Um, this scripture that probably, if you know the Bible, um, you probably put a lot of credence in this, and you probably love this scripture. So check this out real quick. Um, this is Ephesians, really familiar. Uh, God saved you by his, by his grace when you believed, and you can't take any credit for this. It's simply a gift from God. Do you believe that to be true? Okay, so here's the problem with, with religion and works of righteousness. They're good things. They're not bad things. But every human in this room and every human on every continent in our planet has this fatal flaw built in them. We all can anesthetize our consciences with good works. If we do good things, we can tend to believe it's these good things that God is so pleased with. And this is what God will approve of when I stand before him, all of my good works. 
There are Muslims on the planet today who will pray five times every day. They'll carry their prayer carpet wherever they are. They will stop and they will kneel towards Mecca and they will pray five times a day. They will fast more than you. They will give a month of their lives to daytime fasting. You know not every Muslim's a terrorist, right? There are many good Muslims in this world, far more than bad. But here's the problem with all religion, including those who think Jesus just came to bring the world's great religion. Is that works of righteousness like self-control will never get you into heaven. You can't be self-controlled enough. You can't give enough. You can't pray enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't be nice enough. I did this demonstration years ago with my buddy James Ruder who sits down here in the front row. James a big man. How tall are you? 6'4", and I'm 5'2", so it's a, no, not quite that bad. So I'm 5'7". I read about this astronaut in space that was up there for a year. When he came back, he was two inches taller. And I always thought I'd like to go to space just for that reason right there. So I'm 5'7", James is 6'4". And so here, here's my problem now. So not only am I short, but I'm stubby. And so here, here's my jumping ability, right? Check this out. So how, how high? 12 inches? 48 inches. Easy, huh? Yeah. It's not much. All right, so if I bring my buddy James up here, and we're going to have a jumping contest, he's already built to be taller than me, so he can, compared to me, look like he's really good at what he does, right? He can jump higher. But here's the problem. If what we're aiming for is the moon, he outjumped me by a foot, but we both missed it by 250,000 miles. Righteousness is exactly that right there. We like to compare what we do against somebody else. I prayed more than Doug did. I went to church more than Chris did. I gave more than Julia did. I'm a pretty good guy. But standing before God, the goal was perfection. And it'll look like filthy rags all of a sudden when I stand before him. And the only way to get there. There's only one man who ever did it, and his name was Jesus. And when you believe, is what the Bible said, God credits what Jesus did to your life. Self-control is a wonderful thing to have because it protects your life, but it will not get you into heaven. And every human on the planet, here's the fatal flaw with religion, it fools us into thinking by doing good things, this is what God likes. It's good, but it won't get you to heaven. So all I would teach you about today with self-control would be with the knowledge that self-control is great for this life and it produces a lot of good fruit, but don't be fooled by it either. This pastor's not standing in this pulpit and teaching you the law right now. I know, I was taught the law. The law will kill you. It will poison your mind. Do you even hear what I'm saying right now? It will poison your mind it will make you believe that you just have to work harder, try harder, be better. And that's not what God wants. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. I talked about my little hummingbirds two weeks ago. Do you remember? There are now two of them. I didn't know there were two little babies. There's two. Now they're massive for a hummingbird. I asked Chris the other day, just playing with her. I said, Chris, you'll never believe what's in the nest. She said, what? I said, a hummingbird. What? 
That's what they reproduce, hummingbirds. That's, they don't reproduce cars, cats, dogs, bikes, money. They just simply reproduce after their kind. If you want self-control, the way to get it is not to go out of here and be self-controlled. The way to get it is to yield to God. Let the new man win the battle. Crucify the flesh. And you'll reproduce after your kind. You'll reproduce after your kind. You won't even have to think about it. Everything you need to do this is already inside of you right now. It's the most amazing fact. And the more you listen to God, you'll grow in this. And this will become a byproduct of your life. Can I pray for you? Jesus, I love you. I mean, I really love you. God, I love also standing up here and teaching this group of people. Oh. <laughs> how lucky I am. How blessed I am. How fortunate I am. Folks, just with your eyes closed, just open hearts right now. If you struggle with self-control, in no way, shape, or form do I want you to feel condemned. The devil would love to take this message and go, see, just another place where you're blowing it. See, this is why your life's messed up. See, and that's not what God wants. He has clearly said to us, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you love Jesus, if you've given your heart to him, there is no condemnation. God's not looking at you and going, see? God looks at you and goes, here's what I have for you. It's so awesome. It's so good. It's the sweet life, man, the sweet life. And as much as you want it, it doesn't even come close to how much God wants it for you. A message like this today could be taken two ways. I'm going to go home and try harder. I got to get that. Really what I'd want it to do is cause you to come to the point of surrender. Bow your knee and just say, God, <laughs> I want to know you more. I want to love you more. I want you to work in me more. God, I can't, but you can. God, be merciful to me. Here's the best news, man. God is so merciful. He's so merciful. He's so merciful. If this happens to be an area where you just feel, you know, feel like, man, I struggle with that or I, I just feel condemned in that, please, 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 you're missing the point entirely. Turn to Jesus. Yield yourself to the Father. We crucify the flesh by living to the Spirit. Don't lose that battle. The other thing that I would just simply say this morning is that if you like have this down really good, you're a super self-controlled person. That's how you live your life. You don't struggle with this issue. It's so easy to be convinced of our own righteousness, of our own goodness. That's the other extremity in this. For one, it's condemnation, and for the other one, it's pride. 
God doesn't want you to walk around in your own pride. He wants you to realize, man, it's a great thing to have in life and it brings protection. But, dude, it'll never get you into heaven. Because your job's not to get yourself to heaven. That's Jesus' job. Your job's to believe. To give your life to him. Which then, I guess, leads me to my last thing that I want to pray for. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with God. If what I'm saying to you right now, man, you're like, yeah, I get it, but I didn't know how to do it. It's done through a relationship, not through knowledge, not through self-discipline, self-control. It's done through a relationship. And if while you're just listening to this message, it becomes abundantly clear to you that you need a relationship with God. You need his grace, you need his mercy, you need his life. You need to be forgiven. If you don't have a relationship with him, the Holy Spirit will define it for you right now. It's a yes or no. And if that's you and you say, Pastor, I need that relationship and I'd like you to remember me when you pray today. If that's you, slip your hand up right now. I need that relationship with God. You bet. Sure. Sure. You can put him back down. I'm going to pray for you, but quite honestly... Uh, Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I have a special hotline to God. You can talk to God just as easily and quickly as I can. You don't need anybody to go between. I just want to help facilitate something as I pray. So if what I pray is what you want, then from your heart, just tell the Father yes right now. So God, I just thank you right now that you love us and that you're merciful to us, and that your hearts are turned towards us right now. I thank you that you're speaking to people all over the place about being reconciled to you this morning. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit is reaching people and speaking to them about their need for you. And I just ask right now, God, that in that simple place of need, you grow faith. That we wouldn't leave here today trying to be better, trying to get religion, trying to reform, trying to get our lives together, but we'd leave here realizing, (laughs) I need God. I can't do it. It's unreachable, unfixable, undoable without him. And so God, be merciful to me. I believe in the righteousness of Christ. Accredit it to me right now. I don't want to stand before you and tell you all the good things I did. I want to stand before you and just tell you thank you for being merciful to me. God, embrace me right now. God, draw me right now. God, help me right now. Thank you for hearing my prayer right now. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to me today.